You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Josh Huggins. Why don't you introduce yourself, Josh? Don't be shy. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? Uh, well, uh, right now, professionally, I do construction. Uh, but me and my wife, we host a podcast called The Wandering Pilgrims. So you say you do construction. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what are you building mm-hmm. at the moment? Uh, well, we, uh, what we do is we install uh, mainly... Uh, we do like window install, right? So on a new home, uh, the customer would buy windows and we, we would go out uh, and install them. Do you strictly do homes or do you do businesses as well? Like any major, like kind of, I would say like mm-hmm. high up buildings. Cause my dad used to do a uh, glass work mm-hmm. um, and, yeah. uh, like with the high rises, you know, where you clean them off and stuff. And mm-hmm. that always freaked me out because I have major height issues, like standing up on <laughs> even on the even on my roof or something, looking down. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, mostly it's just residential. Now, is this yeah. something you always wanted to get into, or is this something like you? Was it a family thing? Because usually, a lot with like you'll see with construction businesses or mm-hmm. like landscaping, it's usually like a family thing. Yeah. No, actually, it's something I just kind of uh, fell into. Uh, to be honest, I uh, spent several years as uh, as an EMT um, and then bounced around a couple different jobs and then landed on this one. And they've been good to me. So pays the bills. Right? Stayed. Yep. <laughs> so what happened with EMT? That's actually pretty interesting. Is that something you kind of picked up out of school? Because I went to school for um, mm-hmm. chemical dependency and stuff. But when I was a little kid, I always mm-hmm. kind of wanted to. Uh, you know, being EMT, mostly just because I wanted to ride around in the ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my dad is a paramedic um, and uh, he was a, a firefighter in EMT, uh, has been most of my life. And that was kind of the family path, you know, uh, my brother is a firefighter and uh I went through EMT school and uh, I went through uh, paramedic school and I don't know, it's uh, the county that I live in, they do, uh, they have a very high call volume. So you're running a 12 hour shift usually, um, but you may run, you know, anywhere between five to 16 calls i average about 45 minutes a piece yeah i have a couple friends who are firefighters and they talk about they have the beeper you know in their back pocket so whenever they're somewhere if they get a call for a fire they have to show up or something and i'm like isn't that kind of hard though like you're trying to like live your life and you're, you really never have a day off you're technically really always on call yeah it is and 
He's like, yeah, it sucks when you have groceries and you just buy some nice Ben and Jerry's ice cream and you're about to check out with it all and you have to drop everything because next thing you know, you get a giant fire call where they need all hands on deck or something. I'm like, damn. I was like, they're going to have to wait. That house is going to have to burn a little bit while I get my Ben and Jerry's. See, now with emergency services, I always thought it was really interesting because of the ability, I guess, you have to have a sense of empathy, like a really passionate kind of sense of empathy for others in a way just because you have to care for others. Like you have to learn how to take care of an individual, someone who doesn't really give anybody the light of day or just chooses to ignore people. It it doesn't seem like it'd be a very suited position. And it seems like you have a care for people. Yeah. You have, you have to certainly have um, a caring bone in your body as it were. Um, You have to want, you have to really, really want to do the job. Now there are people that you can encounter that, um, some people, they just want kind of, kind of like the glory of it. Um, but they're very few and far between, um, most of the people you encounter are there because they want to be there. It's certainly not because of the money. I can tell you that much. Yeah. I, t- I, I <laughs> like as much as like me, I don't like the medical industry really at all. Mostly because every time I go mm-hmm. to the doctor, I always have like a bad experience. I've mentioned it a few times on the yeah. podcast, but still, when I get hurt, I still am looking for them for guidance. Like I'm looking like at them for all mm-hmm. the answers. You know, I come to them in a time of need. Same people like, you know, they'll crap on cops, but they don't understand the stressfulness of the job and the whole mental yeah. evaluation behind it as well. But also it's like, it doesn't matter if someone breaks into your home, who are you calling to show up at your front door? You're calling the police. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And with emergency services, like mm-hmm. you brought up a good point, like where you're getting five calls or 12 calls, like they're mm-hmm. heroes, basically, like they're people that have chosen to do this because they want to help others. And, you know, whether you want to get the glory out of it or not, like it, you brought up a good point, though. The fact is, depending on where you are in, in emergency services, is mm-hmm. your relative, I guess, call basis. Cause you can go to a low population area and only get what one or two calls mm-hmm. every couple of days. But if you go to, oh, you yeah. go to somewhere like a major yeah. city, like you're dealing with calls 24 seven, next thing you know, a hobo threw a brick at somebody and you got to run down the street. Like, damn, this is the 12th one this week. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's plenty. Even, even as far as like uh, the size of a county, right? So in a county, you'll have several cities. It'll differ between city to city. So if you're stationed in city A, uh, you may run two calls. But if you're you, the next shift, you're in city B, you may run 14 and have a mountain of paperwork at the end of your shift because you haven't actually had time to do it in between. Um, that's another thing that people don't think about is that like a call, a standard, well, I want to say standard because every call is different. But if you run uh, a call, um, say, for someone who fell out of a tree and, and, and got hurt, right, you're going to run that call. Um, you want to get it done as quickly as possible. You've, you've heard of this thing called the golden hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you want is to, from the time of injury, you want them at the hospital uh, and at least in the beginning stages of treatment within one hour so as someone who works on an ambulance you want you want at least 45 minutes bare minimum or bare maximum is what you want because it's going to they get hurt 
it's going to take you a certain amount of time to get there and a certain amount of time to get them to the hospital. Uh, so average, I would say overall, would be about 30 to 45 minutes. Um, what most people don't hear about is the 30 minutes to an hour's worth of paperwork for each 45-minute call. What do you mean? So how, how much paperwork is involved? A lot. Absolutely everything that you did has to be documented. Just so they can have accountability for you in case anything goes wrong in a situation? Yeah. Well, they want accountability for for the medics. They want accountability for like insurance purposes. Um, and so that there's a report later on if the doctor wants to come back, uh, like not not the ER doctor, but um, like the head doctor of the county, uh, they can go back and review it and find out exactly everything that went on. There's a history of like what treatments you gave, if you gave any drugs or anything like that. Um, they want to be able to tell every every little thing that you did. Um, and they, they usually take quite a bit of time. It, it takes less time now because we have computers. Uh, but when when I was in it uh, 10 years ago, well, it'd be probably about 12 years ago now, um, everything was paper. So, like, so you just had to handwrite everything out. Um, and I'm terrible at writing. <laughs> handwriting is terrible. So, you know, you make a mistake on a computer, you can just backspace, backspace, backspace backspace uh if you make a mistake on a, a legal document as far as like writing out several you know 30 minutes worth of handwritten documentation you make a mistake you get to start over it's also <laughs> kind of makes the job a little more difficult i think what uh proves your mm -hmm. point best was there was a thing that happened uh when they were doing the rioting and protesting i don't remember if it was exactly black lives matter but they were blocking off the road and that made it very, very uh, dangerous because there was actually a few deaths on that, not just from people that were getting frustrated in traffic and hitting other people with their cars, but the fact that the ambulances that were on the road trying to get to the hospital because they had someone in the back that needed emergency medical services. And next thing you know, they can't go anywhere because there's people in front of them. Yeah. And that's like, there's a, a viable window when you're driving an ambulance or whether you're just EMT where you have to get them to the hospital once they are in transport. You only have a, you have a window of opportunity. You know, they give, oh, yeah. you, they give you a time limit that you have to be there by at least that. And mm -hmm. that makes it more difficult when you can't weave through traffic. You can't do anything. Like a lot of people, I remember, um, you know, even me in particular, I was on top of the Bay Bridge, man. So if you know Baltimore, there's this, plate, there's this uh, giant bridge. It feels like it goes on forever. Well, that bridge goes on even longer when it's dead stop traffic this is when i was a kid was the first time i ever experienced this i was going to a ravens game and me and my dad are sitting on top of the bay bridge literally in stop dead traffic he's like i've never seen it like this before and i'm like there because there was an accident i guess at the very end of the bridge so it was holding everybody up so i'm like sitting there i'm like and i just see this cop weaving through cars with his lights on just trying to get through it all quicker and i'm sitting there like you don't like this is where people get upset when someone turns on the sirens and feels like they're getting cheated to their destination but it's like when it comes to emergency medical services it comes to a firefighter it comes to a police they got somewhere they got to be you know hopefully they have somewhere they have to be 
You know, it's they're trying to they're trying to help out, but that creates ever amounting pressure on someone like that. And when I started looking at all the pressures that affect emergency medical services, it boggles my mind how people can still stay in the field. Yeah, it's the turnover rate. Um, I don't know what it is now. It used to be when I when I was in emergency service, the turnover rate average was a year or two years. Um just people getting into it that want that. I mean, again, they got into it for good intentions, um, but it was just like the workload was just too much. Um, we always had this thing about there, there will, there will all, if you get into emergency services, be it police, fire, EMS, there will always be a call that will either make you or break you. Uh, and it may happen the first week you're on the job. It may happen two years into it. Might happen um, even 15 gonna, years down the road. Yeah, you're going to run into this call that is going to bother you to the core. And you're either going to be able to get past it or you're not. Um, and a lot of people, unfortunately, um, they have that call. They're not able to get past it. And that's not anything bad on them. Um, but some people have a harder time dealing with things than, than others. Um, so the, the other thing is, is that I always thought that they, they, when you go through school for EMT, paramedic, anything like that, you have to do, uh, ride alongs. So you have to go and you have to ride on a paramedic truck, uh, for a certain amount of time, uh, and log in those hours so that you can pass the class. And I never thought that it was ever long enough. They give you so many hours, um, to do that. Uh, but you don't really get, because you're not certified, you don't really get a lot of uh, practical experience. Uh, you get to watch other paramedics do things. But when it comes time for you to put that badge on, um, well, we didn't wear badges, but some paramedics do. Um, to put, you know, to put, that, put your gear on and get up in the ambulance, some paramedics will have you know, a hundred hours, um, right out of school. Uh, some may have six months depending on what school you go to, but the practical experience that, that you get in EMT, uh, school and paramedic school are to me at least worth way more than any book study that you would do. Uh, well, you could take two scenarios, for instance. One, you give a kid fresh out of school, decides to go log some hours in, and he goes, what? Let's say he wants to go for the extreme top of the class. A number one student goes for like 600 hours. Like, I'm going to do no drink nothing but Starbucks coffee. I'm going to just go on back-to-back <laughs> -back trips and knock this out in like a month. Next thing mm -hmm. you know, he never experiences a severe incident. Okay, that could happen in a small community place. I think the if you're an EMT person down here, you get a lot of calls where I live, only because we live in an old folks community. So you're dealing with a lot of like life star ambulances coming by, someone's fallen. So you're constantly like, you know, wheeling out elderly people and taking them to the hospital because they fell and like broke something. But like, like I said, you could have 300 hours of experience and never see anything that could make or break you. That could never really give you any actual experience. You could just be riding around dealing with like, oh, they don't need an ambulance. And then you end up leaving. But then you take another person who goes in, I'm going to log my first couple of hours tonight. 
someone gets shot next thing you know he watches someone die right in front of him that could break him right there it could yeah and it, exactly it, right it brings in the complexity even more just saying that about the job like we we look at these we look at people and we think they have all the answers for something but it's like they're guessing as much as they possibly can using as much knowledge as they possibly have to try and figure out what's wrong with you but you they don't they can't you know only person that can really tell when you're messed up is yourself you know you can tell when something is not right they can see something if it's like a broken arm but if you have an internal like I don't know, injury, like you're bleed, you're bleeding internally and they're going through the checklist and you're not showing any signs. Next thing you know, like you're, you're like, Oh, I'm good. I don't need an ambulance. Get behind the wheel or something. Next, thing you know, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always had the rule of thumb, like, cause, cause you'll get calls where you'll go out somewhere and then you'll get there. And I don't know what it is, but it's like people get ambulance shot. Like they don't want to get on the ambulance. They felt bad enough to call. But then when you get there, they don't want any help. I think it's the money aspect too, because I, I didn't like for me, I got hit by a jet. I got hit by a jet ski. I was in a major, like severe jet ski accident. And um, so DNR had to come out on the water and pick me up and everything. And I couldn't move my back. Like it really kind of hurt. And I even told them, I was like, let me just like sit on the boat. And they want they have to put you in a special position where they hold your neck. So I'm sitting on fiberglass, like laying down and the dude's holding my neck in like, I guess what's best for my back. But I'm like, dude, this is even worse. Like you're actually hurting me more than the jet ski did. Yeah, it's called, uh, it's all called C-spine stabilization. So you, what, the, what he's trying to do is, is hold your cervical spine, like just the bones in your neck still uh because your neck your back doesn't flop around a whole lot um as far as your spine goes but your neck can um and it's it's really easy in an accident uh to to break your neck and not know it uh to like have a fracture or or a, a disc issue uh and not realize it because you've got all this adrenaline pumping um so that's like because the risk uh from traumatic injury is so great uh with uh, spinal injuries, uh, that's like a one. That's the first thing you do with someone, with someone who's been hit, hit by a car, hit by a jet ski, any anything like that. You want you want to make sure that they're not moving their spine at all because it's very good chance. Um, well, and a very good chance, but there's definitely the possibility that they could end up with a permanent spinal injury. It does hurt. Like I'm totally on board with that, but. It, I told him, I was like, hey, like, once we got back to the boat, it was weird because they were pulling out a stretcher. I was like, guys, I can walk it, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm good. I'm good to go. Uh, it's my lower back that hurts, not my neck. And, then, like, so yeah. I started walking to the ambulance, like, do you want to you want to take a ride? And I'm like, do, do, sh do you think I should go? Like, my back really does hurt to bend down and stuff. Like, I really can't – honestly, moving is a pain, but I'm pretty hyped up right now because I just got hit by a fucking jet ski and he's like yeah well um uh let me look at your back real quick and they lift up the back of my shirt and check out my lower part of my back and i have a protruding tailbone so they saw that and they saw how like my back kind of sticks out a little bit and he's like you you might have a fractured back so we need to set you down and we need to put you in an ambulance and they were kind of i was scared so i was like oh shit like am, am i dying like once the adrenaline wears off am i just going to collapse so we go to this ambulance ride all the way through town i'm hearing the sirens and i'm trying to talk to the guy and he's running his tests and making sure everything's good i guess going through his checklist and i'm just like so like is, is this gonna be a cool story to tell people and he's like what i'm like i got hit by a jet ski man he's like 
uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. You got hit by a jet ski and you survived. I'm like, right, right. I'm like, you know what would suck if <laughs> right as soon as we get to the hospital, I died? And he's like, why would you say that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, am I putting more pressure on you to actually yeah. like to pay attention? He's like, I'm, I'm already pretty like hyper aware right now, man. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I was just like, isn't the color outside really cool? And I, like, because it was sunset when it was happening, it was like the last ride of the day. And he was like, mm -hmm. what, what goes through your head? I'm like, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> <We're>, we, <laughs> we go in there and it, it was, it was crazy, but like, I can see mm -hmm. where a lot of people get nervous about taking an ambulance. Like, oh, like, cause I remember when my yeah. brother's girlfriend texted me, like, did you take an ambulance? And I said, yeah. And she said, I should have just drove you. And I said, look, I know we work at the same place, but like when someone's telling you your back is like fractured or messed up, you're not risking getting in a Chevy Cobalt that is on a spare tire <laughs> rolling down the street, trusting my brother's girlfriend to get me there safely when I know we're in a tourist town and it's the middle of summer. Like I know traffic's going to be a pain. So I was like, I'd rather go with the siren ride and be able to scare the uh, EMT guys in the ambulance with me. <laughs> but like if you really yeah. want to talk about it, i think when it comes to a lot of things like we like to think we're tougher than we actually are we're pretty fragile i mean if you honestly think about it deep down to the core we're just bags of blood like the fact that we just don't get hurt and all of it just comes out in our everyday life like how many times do you cut your hand and it starts bleeding and it kind of i mean for the, right after i got hit by the jet ski i thought i was like invincible for like a week like i was like i took a jet ski but i also had a newfound perspective on life like most people do when they almost die or something like mine was pretty severe i was only lucky to be alive because i was standing up he hit me like from the front so he went up me like a ramp and his jet ski actually hit me in the chest and the guys were telling me like if you were sitting down that jet ski would hit you right in the face and you wouldn't be here with us and it i had my new found perspective on life i was looking at everything differently like colors are just so much more blue and like like i was in every i'm pretty sure everybody in my family was hating me at one point they were like can you shut up like when is this gonna end like when are you gonna go back to how you were before and i was like i don't know i think this is the new me and then next week i was like hey guys i'm gonna go play video games <laughs> like you know it, it went away <laughs> but i yeah. mean what have you ever experienced anything major on a call have you ever had anything that really changed your perspective or did you just want to move on to something else because you found out it kind of wasn't for you um the the list of calls that um were that would be you could describe as 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 life-changing or or like career ending or, or whatever, um, is several miles long. Um, <laughs> I've seen some really, really mundane stuff, uh, in the several years that, I that, that I was on the ambulance and some really, really horrible stuff. Could, um, you, could you give me one, like one horrible experience that really sticks into your head? Because I know a lot with medical services or law enforcement, they, you can develop a type of PTSD. Um, something like, do you ever have, do you ever have an experience that kind of is imprinted onto your mind that you still think about sometimes? Um, not really. Um, no, I mean, it was kind of, I don't know. I guess I got lucky. I was one of those people that could, so I, I may run a call and it might, might stick with kids. 
kids or something uh, that stick with you for uh, for a while um, when you run a call for a child. Um, but I've never really had something. I never really had something hang on for more than a couple of days or a week at the most. I was always able to to push forward, move to the next thing, um, and just do the job. Um, but by far, and I think if you asked, if you asked anyone in emergency services, children are what, or what hits you the hardest, like by far. Um, so as far as horrible calls, hmm. I can tell you, tell you what hit me pretty hard mm-hmm. was that jet ski. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it definitely caught me off guard. I'll give him that. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's one. Um, not about a child though. Um, so we went to uh, I I want to say we went, we had stopped for for dinner because I was on third shift. I guess it would have been breakfast, being on uh third shift. Uh, but we got a call out for a knife wound. Um, so we hop in the ambulance, we run over to where the call was. Um, and we get there and there's this gentleman with a towel wrapped around his back. <laughs> and if I giggle, I'm sorry. Like it's, it's the sense of humor that you get doing the job. Um, but we get there, uh, we, get, we jump out of the truck, we grab the bag, we run up, and he has, we, we take the towel off, and he has about, I would, I want to say it was probably three quarters of an inch to a, to a half inch to three quarters of an inch in some places, deep slice from his right shoulder uh, down to the lower part of his left back. And we get there, we start applying galls and and doing things to try to stop the bleeding. Um, And a guy walks over and we're like, hey, you know, can you, there's lots of blood everywhere. Can you just like hold back and everything? Um, So he does. Uh, We get the guy in the ambulance and get him on to the hospital and the police officer comes later to the hospital. We, we were there maybe five minutes. Police officer comes and meets us at the hospital. Um, and come to find out the guy that had walked over was the guy that sliced the, my, my patient. Uh, and he, he like sliced him with a sword. Holy sh- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what kind of argument they were having, uh, but apparently the patient um, had threatened the guy or something like that. Uh, but you the said, guy didn't you take said, it very, very you, nicely. You said knife wound. So, but then, but you, with a yeah. sword. What are we talking about weapon wise here? Are we talking about like, did he pull yeah, out like no, in so, brothers with like Randy Jackson autograph signed katana and just randomly <laughs> pulled it out and so sliced one, the guy? 
one thing is you can get a call for something and show up and it's it's not anywhere near close to what they told you it was going to be right so usually probably what that was is that a bystander or or someone called in the call and said what they saw uh so that's what goes in the report to tell you what you're headed to and then you get there and it's it's kind of similar but it's not exactly what you thought um but no, it was like a straight up like katana style sword from from what the <laughs> officer was saying. Yeah, yeah. So there's a dude <laughs> and just stabbing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had gotten it. Apparently, they had a history or or something like that. Uh, and uh, the patient had just he he got on the guy's last nerve, I guess. Um, so the guy went at him with a sword. Uh, but that was one not that was one of the um i wouldn't say it's one of the most traumatizing calls um unless you don't like the sight of blood that was probably one of the one of the messiest i'll say that one of the messiest calls i'd ever been on i had it my my gloves were covered it was up to my elbows um and i had been on on the truck maybe two months for that one um you were probably like man this this, this guy's a bleeder look at him <laughs> yeah. go he's just all, all over oh, the place yeah. he bled quite a bit before we got there gotta put some more towels down when he gets in the ambulance you don't want to get it all over yourself mm-hmm. well that's crazy though because if you look at like imagine asking some emt people or something like you get a call for like a stab victim and you pop up on scene thinking it's going to be like a knife or a pocket knife or something like an average knife. You know what I mean? That you would come across in a crime and there's a samurai sword yeah. or something like that. And you're like, this is not a knife wound. <laughs> yeah. This is a sword wound. Like this is like a severe actual like thing that you would get. I mean, if you think of a knife wound, you're like, all right, I already get to get there quick. But if someone says sword wound, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stop and be like, we gotta get there now. Oh, like yeah. he got stabbed with a sword. Like we're not talking about a two inch blade. We're talking about like a a good ten f- inch blade going through somebody. Way bigger than that, probably. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would say you know, I mean, just how how big is a katana? And I doubt it was a you know a, a legit you know Japanese sword. It was probably like a a knockoff from the fleet market or something that he had just, this guy just oh, sharpened. But I probably mean, probably went down to the local pawn shop and picked yeah, it up. I think average blade size, maybe 36 to 42 inches. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's definitely sounds about right. I think a 10 inch blade, like I was saying, is like a, maybe a hunting knife. So uh, now you do this podcast called the one, the, is it the wandering pilgrims? Yeah, wandering pilgrims. Yeah. Now, did this come about just from seeing so much of the emergency services? Because now it is about religion. It is about Christianity. So, um, I, I, how did you come across that? Because I know, like we're seeing nowadays, like me, I'm not religious at all. I, if there is something out there, I'm hopeful that there is. Um, and from what I've listened to in your guys' podcasts and stuff, you guys don't seem like very forceful Christians. I know um, too many 
uh, people that either lost their faith or too many people that are so into their faith that they have to like excommunicate themselves from people. And I think that religion is determined by the person who kind of experiences it, such as um, I know people that I've taken great advice from when it comes to anything on the fact that like there's a woman I work with, her husband is completely paralyzed and she turned to religion to help heal her. And that's what she helps her get out of bed every morning. And I know people that just could never see that for me at this point. I don't, I don't know what's out there. Like I said, if I've seen Morgan Freeman and more movies than God, you know, playing God than God himself. So I don't know what the end answer is, but I've also come across in my lifetime um, a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses that were yelling at people, telling them, like, you're going to go to hell if you don't believe in Christ. And I don't think that's the way to go. I think everyone experiences a walk of life and they have to come to terms with whatever they come to terms with, you know? Um, it, it, it's definitely, it's very helpful for a lot of people. I do have kind of, decisions on both side of things but i think what i try and do the most is be open-minded when i talk to religion like my cousin um is a hardcore religious person he's homeschooled because his mom uh when he was born he was diabetic so his mom was like i'm just gonna have him homeschooled to be around me he's been involved in the church i mean goes every sunday helps out there like three or four times a week um, teaches classes and stuff and it was never for me because I wasn't so involved with it in at least my childhood home, I noticed that like with a lot of people that aren't believers of faith or, you know, like around my age or something in their twenties is because they didn't have a home life of it. Yeah. And yeah, this is true. Uh, I, I well, grow me growing up. Um, I had, um, I wasn't raised in the faith, uh, or in Christianity in any religion at all. Um, uh, maybe when I was like a little kid, my parents took me to church. Uh, but from maybe five or six years old on, um, it was all secular education. Like uh, going, I went to public school, you know, I went to a, a community college. Um, so not much, no, there was no, there was no like, religious education involved uh, i didn't attend church regularly um i maybe went with a friend here or a friend there um i wasn't really really religious in fact uh like for a very long time i detested that word religion i didn't like that word because what it meant to me at the time was what it means to a lot of people is this organized, this idea of organized religion where people tell you what to do and blah, 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 blah. And I didn't want to have anything to do with that. Um, I figured I had a belief in God. I believed that God existed, but as for the rest of it, um, I didn't really think it was here nor there. Um, as far as it having anything to do with my time on an ambulance, not really, because I really didn't give it much thought. I was doing a job. Um, I wanted to help people, um, but I really nothing I ever did had I ever really thought about God in. Um, I not asked, until... Go ahead. 
I ask that question because I know when someone experiences either a tragic loss or a loss of a loved one or just seen some incredible events such as like, I know a couple of people that turned to religion when they were in a car accident. I know a couple of people like turned to religion when um, they watched someone get shot while being a police officer at a job. And it's that whole factor of you can get impacted by something that you literally need something to pull you out of something. So that's why they turn to that. Um, I know people that have gotten it from their kid being born. I don't know if that might've been the same for you. I think with a lot of people, it's, it just randomly hits you. Like one day you feel like you need something to believe in, or you want to believe in something because I don't know, there's just a random change and it could be just one slight event or one, just something so simple or something so extreme that can turn you that way. Yeah, this is true. This is true for a lot lot of people. Um, Mine was, it started to weigh on me a little bit uh, when we had, when me and my wife had uh, had our child, um, but not it didn't weigh on me enough. I was still, I believe in God, uh, and that's good enough for me. The issue is, uh, looking back on it now, it wasn't good enough for God, right? So, um, and I, that may sound funny to some people, um, but. If you speaking to someone, um, speaking as someone who was convinced of it, uh, rather than I grew up in it or anything like that, um, I can look back and see the things, see that plan come to fruition. So he he put me here, um, and that led me to he put me at point A, right. And that led me to point B and then point C and then point D. Um, And I can see in hindsight, the plan uh, up to this point Uh, when you can't, you can't do that while it's going on. Um, Not until you realize um, how it actually works. Can can you actually look back and realize it? And that's what was going on for me. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, (laughs) Uh, but it was, I was kind of, um, I'm one of, one of those who was convinced of it, uh, through, uh, through reading, through, uh, hearing people talk. Um, C.S. Lewis is, uh, for one, probably, uh, one of the most phenomenal authors, uh, in English history. Um, but, uh, there's this thing, uh, called Christian apologetics. And what it is, is, so apologetics, it doesn't mean like we're apologizing for the things that Christians have done. Um, What it it comes from is the word apologia, uh, which means to give an answer. Uh, So what you're doing is you're fulfilling what Paul in the Bible asks you to do, which is to be able to defend the hope that you have. Um, to be able to, to to answer people when they ask you questions about your faith. Um, this is apologetics. Um, and what it is is a, is a way to talk to people or the ability uh, to talk to people uh, because you are learned uh, uh, about your faith. Um, I think that the problem that I had and the problem that a lot of people have uh, is that they have this idea of what religion is. 
Um, organized religion. This- that's the that's what you're hitting on. The problem is not yes free religion, which is what you get to see a lot of adaptive forms turn into now. It seems like mm-hmm. you say Christianity is supposed to be one unified religion, but it's turned into so many different forms, and each form is different based on where you're at. Especially like I know a lot of churches that will excommunicate people that will tell them like, we, we, we can't have you come in here anymore because you're shaking other people's faith. And it's like, was I not never supposed to ask questions? Cause I think that's what life is. It's one giant question. You never know why it does this, why it does that. You just think it's a part of a bigger plan. And it's where you see a lot of people who don't believe in religion now because they've been so forced to believe in one thing. And then when they ask questions, they get kicked out. Or you see the people like yourself that have a idea of what religion means to them, which is a better way. You did it through it, more readings, more kind of coming across it yourself mm-hmm. and your own understanding and knowledge of what you were kind of taking in is better than someone mm-hmm. that's not giving you an answer on anything. You know, you have to come and find those yeah. answers for yourself. Like it's cheating when you do a, scrabble or you do something in a, a little a newspaper if you're doing the word cross and it tells you if you flip to page 54 all the answers are there okay well if that's what you wanted in the first place or do you want to come across those and try and figure those out yourself you feel a hell of a lot better if you can figure out that crossword you know what i mean when you figure out the answers that oh it says number four what's a four letter word for earthly substance oh dirt uh, that's five words up oh, can't use that i don't know something you know a quick example but it, it it's something like that where you have a better feeling about it when you can find those answers for yourself and for a lot of people they don't want to take the time to do so i know for me it wasn't something i, I wanted answers i wanted it then and there i didn't want to have to go look looking and looking and looking for it and every answer i got was you just gotta have faith you just gotta have faith and eventually they were like look man you're kind of shaking other people's beliefs and that 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 might have just been a wrong thing but that's what organized religion has became now where it has to fit their idea of it of whoever's running it and that's not what it is that's why you see a lot of people that choose not to go to church but they still keep Christ in their life. They still keep these things in their life because they can do it in their own way at their house. Yeah. Well, I will, I will say this. Um, as far as like being a Christian, um, and that's what me and Courtney are. We are Christians. Uh, we don't, we don't really, we don't go to church. Um, and we have our reasons for that. Um, but we are Christians. Um, and, just like any other religion, there are specific sets of tenets and rules that you have to follow. Um, now, whether you want to be like you you want to go like orthodox or non-orthodox, um, that totally depends on your level of devotion at the time. Um, but there are specific rules and and that you have to follow, and there's a specific way you're supposed to live your life. The issue is that that we had is that we were going to these different places, and it was so muddied with the world um, that we weren't getting the truth. Um, we would ask a question or we would have a discussion, and it was like people were just coming up with answers, 
So we decided, okay, well, we have this awesome thing uh, that, that, that is available to Christians uh, in the modern age. Uh, it's called the Bible. Um, it's and we're a, lucky I work, enough. I work at a hotel. Trust me, I put those in every single, <laughs> yeah. every single yeah. day. What, uh, what most Christians don't think about is the fact that, and it's a little heavy, uh, but a lot of people uh, were martyred. They died. Um, specifically so that you could read that book in English um, or in any other language, because it used to only be printed in Latin or Greek. So you had to go to a church and have someone read it for you because most people, unless they were rich, educated, they couldn't read Latin, they couldn't read Greek. So you had to take someone at their word. Um, now you don't have to do that because a lot of people sacrificed their lives. Um, now, whether that means they spent the rest of their lives in prison, they spent the rest of their lives on the run, or they were killed for it, a lot of people sacrificed so that you could read that book in English. And me and Courtney, that's what we came to the realization of. Um, and so we said, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to read it. And we're going to actually go through it and see this is actually what it says, this is actually what it's talking about. Uh, and the perception that I had of Christianity um, through my secular education um, and through listening to people uh, who have like a worldly knowledge of what morality is and things like that um, was completely different. It, it, it is not at all what I was told that it was. Um, it, it is, it is full of the, the, the biggest thing that you're called to do, um, is to love that neighbor. And it seems like a mundane thing. Like, well, of course you should be, be nice. The difference is, is that it doesn't say nice. It says love. Um, uh, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean um, that you should think kindly or anything of, of people like we think about love now. Um, back then when they say love, they mean love like we think of love now and then action, right? So those are two sides of the same coin uh, because I can stand there and like somebody and say that I love someone all day. How yeah, are they going to know it unless it. I show them? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, that's the key to really anything in creating a more positive world is creating a better positive environment. Um, I believe in energy. I believe people give off a certain vibe around them that makes you want to be around them, depending on if they're in a good mood or a bad mood. But if we were all, you know, doing what they say, you know, love thy neighbor, if you were going to truly be considerate, be helpful and just do these small acts that are so beneficial into someone else's life, you're going to create a more positive environment. I mean, the simple example to use is when you roll up to the fast food window and you find out someone paid it forward. So your meal is free. Like, yeah, you're already off to a good mm -hmm. start and you're already having a great day because of yeah. that. It's something just so simple as that and being helped out in those scenarios. It doesn't mean you have to keep going paying it forward somewhere, but, Doing small acts of kindness, doing things where you can show compassion and empathy for just people around them. 
You know, my idea mm. for the podcast was let's sit down and have a conversation for an hour and see where it goes. Nobody does it anymore. Let's try and bring communication back. That's yeah. nothing huge at all. But people feel better. I feel better. And mm. it helps cr try and spark a little bit more connectivity into our lives, you know, creating a more positive mm. world in a way, at least I hope it tries to do. Whether you're listening and whether we're talking about something stupid or whether we're talking about something serious, it doesn't matter because I think there there needs to be more connectivity amongst people again. Somewhere along the way, we lost it and began, began to be so one-sided and opinionated where anybody that doesn't believe in what you believe in or has your view on something, whether it's politics, religion, or anything, you have to shove them out and isolate them. And that's never what it was meant to be. That's never what this us as people were meant to be. You know, whether you believe in a higher power or whether you don't believe in anything at all, it's not it's not something you have to believe in to feel this way, but it's a sense of caring for just another human being that is on this earth. Knowing that there's someone that is completely unique and different from you, but is also a, a species thing. Like it's we're we're all it coexisting here together the fact that there's so many of us populated in an area working around each other and living our own separate lives and then we're walking around never communicating with them like that's like going into your house and just going up into your room every single day and not communicating with your family anymore like you still are around these people you have to make interactions so why not make that interaction positive so everyone has a good time agreed agreed um, that's one of that's one of the uh, one of the other things that as a Christian you're called to do is is like I want to say it when when I was talking about love thy neighbor, right? So the Pharisees uh, they ask Jesus this, they say, uh, "Who is your neighbor?" And Jesus takes it a step further, right? So when you think of your neighbor, you think the person who lives next door, the guy down the road. Uh, he turns that around and he says, "Those whom those by whom you treat neighborly." It, everyone, anyone that you come into contact with, period. You could even take that further and say people that you've only heard about, people that, that you may not come into contact with, but by, you know, another person, right? So you heard about Fred through Jeff or something like that. Um, even like you're even called as a Christian to love your enemies. Like, so even the people that hate you, um, you're supposed to love them rather than what we usually do is go, well, that person doesn't like me, so I don't like that person. The issue is, is that when you're called to, to act a certain way so that people ask you about what you believe, like, why are you, why are you so nice? Or, you know, why are you being so nice? Why do you, what causes you to live this way? That's the, that's part of the point is to act in such a way that it causes people to ask you about your faith and then you can give you can give an answer you're supposed to be able to to explain why you have the hope that you have it's not about changing others but more showing them a different perspective and maybe a way of kind of showing them like this might be a more positive way of living mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they have yeah. to come to that terms themselves but it's encouraging them to at least take the take that chance you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are just like, oh, that's going to be a waste of time. And you might actually pull something from it. And that's what you and your wife do in this podcast. You encourage others to read the Bible and kind of, you know, just have a more, I guess, acceptance and f- better feeling of life, more of an accountability of things, you know? And I, even though like for me, you know, the Bible, all that stuff is not something I'm interested in now doesn't mean I'm not going to be it down the road. And the fact that you guys don't shove your opinion or don't do anything, but you just encourage people. That's I, it's, I'm glad there's people out there like you that do this because you might, you know, you're going to come across someone who's not going to be into it. Then you're going to come across someone who needs that push, who needs that thing. Cause I believe when we're all getting into a tough spot, when we all feel like the light at the end of the tunnel is just way too far down that we're never going to get to it. We need some help from not only a higher power, but help from people, a better understanding. Maybe someone's already figured it out or been in your position and gotten out of it that they can look to. And I'm glad that you're out there doing this with your podcast. No, thank you. And I want to give you here a minute at the end of the podcast to be able to promote your content, man, because it really is something special. I mean, you and your wife do this thing and, you know, you're not getting paid for it. You know what I mean? You're not doing you're not doing this. You're doing it as an act of kindness from yourself because you realize that there are people out there that might need help. So uh, my name is Josh. My wife's name is Courtney. Uh, we, we have a podcast called The Wandering Pilgrims. Um, we go over, um, we do Bible studies, um, where it's, we'll, we'll take a couple of passages and then we'll, me and my wife will, we'll read them. And then we don't discuss it. <laughs> uh, if it, we don't discuss it until we're on the podcast. When we're on the podcast, this is the first time that me and her are sitting and discussing these things. Um, so what you get to hear, this is not rehearsed. What you get to hear is, is kind of raw and we wanted it that way. Um, so that to kind of promote other people reading the Bible and reading these books uh, with a, another group of people and sitting down and, and talking about it. Uh, this originally is what they did. What you would have is you would have Paul or Apollos or Peter. They would come and they would teach you uh, and there would be a group of people uh, a lot of times in secret. Um, uh, and they would talk about Jesus and, and, and the things that, that Paul is talking about or Peter, Peter is talking about. Uh, and unfortunately now, a lot of people, they go and they listen to someone else talk about what someone else said. We don't want you to do that. Um, if, if that's okay with you, by all means do it. But we want what we want to promote is you, anyone who wants to do it, sitting down, reading scripture, reading some of the books that we cover, uh, and then having a conversation with other people about it. Um, and that's, that's really what, what our podcast is all about, really. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast, Josh, and taking the time to be able to have a conversation, man. It, it was good talking to you. Um, I'll make sure to put all your, it's good talking to you too. I'll make sure to put all your links into the description so everyone can follow your awesome content. And thank you for being on and stay tuned for another episode of Out of the Blank.